So our first reading comes from Romans 1, 1 to 15. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who, through the spirit of holiness, was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. And so our second reading comes from Romans 15, uh, from verse 14 through to 33. Romans 15, 14. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet, I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except that Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way through to Elycrium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written... Those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. 
But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So, after I've completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on my way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there, so that I may come to you with joy by God's will in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Well, there's nothing more revolutionary than the gospel. The year is 1505. Uh, A 21-year-old German guy, so someone around your age, is out on the road travelling by foot and a thunderstorm strikes and a bolt of lightning strikes the ground just near him. He's a devout Catholic and so... Uh, In terror, as any good Catholic does, he cries out, Help me, St. Anne, I'll become a monk. The storm passes, and true to his word, he becomes a monk. He dives into the monastic life, uh, praying, fasting, going without sleep and clothes, uh, everything. But for all his devotion, he finds no peace. Because the more he devotes himself to God, the more he sees his failings and the more terrified he becomes, not of the storm, but of God. Uh, This is what he writes. He says, when it is touched by the eternal, the soul feels and drinks nothing but eternal punishment. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, the monks at that time were actually the ones who taught in the universities. And so uh, as he goes on as a monk, he studies and he becomes a professor at Wittenberg University. And he happens to lecture on this letter, on the letter of Romans. And as he teaches Romans, he learns something for the first time. And he learns something revolutionary. He realises that peace with God is free. He works out that you don't need to go to Mass and you don't need to follow religious rituals, that righteousness comes free from God through faith. That's an amazing story. You might recognise it, that the man is Martin Luther and he was the guy who started the Protestant Reformation in Europe. He started protesting against the Catholic Church, against uh, some of their teaching and against some of their uh, immorality. 
uh, at the time. And that was it. It started a revolution. Uh, that movement split the church in half. It, it brought um, nations, changed governments, it kind of overthrew kings and queens, it started new denominations, and all because of what God did when Martin read Romans. So that's what we're going to do uh, this semester. We're going to dig into this revolutionary letter. Uh, this letter that's done so much to shape our church and our world. And we're actually going to do something ambitious. Uh, Ambitious is my word for it. Other people have used the word crazy and insane. Um, But we're actually going to tackle all of Romans in five weeks, uh, the next five Sundays. (laughs) That was a great reaction. Whoa! (laughs) Crazy. But what we want to do is we want to take this aerial survey of the whole thing. Like when, uh, you know, you're flying out from Perth, back in the days when we caught planes, uh, you fly out from Perth and the plane banks and you can kind of see the city and the hills down the side and the river coming down and you kind of get a sense of the whole place. We want to do that with Romans. To take in the enormity of the gospel to follow Paul's argument in big chunks, to see the contours of the whole thing. Uh, That's our goal for the first five weeks of this semester. But tonight, our goal is just to get our bearings. Uh, What we're going to do is we're going to look at the start and the finish and work out why. Why did Paul write Romans? Uh, What's it about? What should we expect to find as we dig into this huge revolutionary letter? And um, because it's a letter, the way that you uh, make sense of it is you uh, understand what's going on for the sender and understand what's going on for the receiver. So we're going to do that. We're going to look at both of those things. Uh, What's happening with Paul, the guy who wrote the letter, and what's happening in Rome? And that's going to help us to answer the question, what's happening in Romans? So that's where we're going tonight. What's happening with Paul? What's happening in Rome? What's happening in Romans? So firstly, what's happening with Paul? Well, uh, Paul has plans in three places. Firstly, he's got plans in Rome. Uh, What makes this an interesting letter is that Paul didn't plant the church in Rome. In fact, he hasn't actually visited them. Have a look at verse 13. Um, If you've got a Bible, turn it open to Romans 1. Uh, We'll stick in Romans 1 to begin with and then we'll flick to the back later. So verse 13. He says this, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. See, Paul's job is to be uh, the apostle to the Gentiles, the guy who goes out and preaches the gospel to the non-Jewish world. And that's what he says there in verse 15. He says, that's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Because that's his job. He has this obligation, this debt to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. But uh, the church has never met him. And so it's like someone uh, coming to speak at church or coming to speak at Credo, for example. and, And you've never heard of them. They're just a name or Maybe you've heard the name, but you've never heard them speak, and so you're not quite sure. And so Paul's in this situation where they, they know about him, but they've never had anything to do with him. And so Paul starts Romans 
uh, with quite a long intro, actually. But it's not so much an intro about him and, you know, his favourite food. Uh, It's an intro about his gospel. Have a read from verse 1. This is him introducing himself. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son. See, Paul wants to introduce himself uh, by telling them his gospel. This is the message. This is the thing that matters most. This is at the very heart of my ministry as I go around uh, proclaiming the gospel. This is it. Now, pause there. Uh, This is a good moment to take a step back and ask the question, what does gospel mean? Because it's a word we say a lot. It's kind of Christian jargon, isn't it? You can have gospel groups and gospel coalitions. You can have uh, you be gospel-centred. You can have a gospel heart. You know, everything's gospel, right? And if you're a Christian, maybe you've worked out it's got something to do with Jesus, that Jesus uh, died for me, that that's the gospel. And that's not wrong. Um, but it's fair to say that sells it short. You see, before Jesus... There was such a thing as a gospel. Now, this before we had the gospel. Uh, gospel was just a regular word that people used in uh, the Greek language. And it means big news. Uh, but it is a special kind of news. A special kind of news. See, you only had a gospel when it was news about a king. Like, say for example... Uh, Our queen uh, dies and we get Prince Charles uh, coming in as king. Uh, That would be big news, right? That is is headline news around the world. Um, And that kind of announcement could be called a gospel. Uh, The reporters could be called evangelists because that's where we get uh, the word from. Um, People who tell the gospel. And so that was the case back in the ancient Roman world, that when Caesar Augustus was born, gospels went out. And when Julius Caesar kind of had a mighty victory, then gospels would go out. See, the gospel is the big news that a new king has arrived. And so you can see the connection with Jesus, can't you? Right? When the disciples, when Jesus' disciples worked out that he was God's king, they were like, We've got a word for that. That means gospel. And in fact, not a gospel, but the gospel, the ultimate big news about a new king. And so from the very beginning, the gospel was revolutionary, especially somewhere like Rome, right? Uh, Because the gospel says that Jesus is Lord and that Caesar is not. Uh, Take a look there. Uh, Verse 4, this is what it says, Uh, who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power. See, this gospel, uh, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The gospel announcement is about a new king. The big news that Jesus has been appointed king of all. And so that's the gospel that Paul wants to bring to Rome. 
And so he sends this letter in advance, kind of like if we had that speaker coming to church at the Credo, if they'd written a book. And we could read it and be like, oh, I get what they're on about. Uh, that's what he's doing. He wants to give them this full-scale presentation of his gospel to pave the way for his visit. And that's, uh, I hope, why it's going to be good to see Romans in big chunks because we're going to get these big uh, sections of his gospel message all together to try and make sense of. So Paul has plans in Rome, but he especially wants them to get on board with his gospel because he has even bigger plans. Uh, Flick now back to chapter 15, to the end of Romans. See what's happening with Paul? He's got this job to be the apostle to the Gentiles and so he's gone out planting churches and he's finished phase one of his gospel mission. Verse 19, he says that from from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Uh, It's not that he's personally preached to every individual but he's set up this network of churches all the way around the eastern Mediterranean And now he wants to move on to phase two. So uh, have a look further down, verse 23. He says, But now there is no more place for me to work in these regions. And since I've been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. See, phase two of the mission uh, is further west to Spain. He wants to keep breaking new ground with the gospel. Uh, But if he's going to do that, he needs a home base, uh, a strong church that'll support him and and help send him out on this gospel mission. And so Romans is actually a mission support letter. It's Paul's pitch to the Roman church to get on board with his mission to Spain, uh, to understand his gospel, to think, yes, I'm on board with that. Go and tell people further west all about that, to see that it's the best news ever. And so they'll get on board and back him in that. Uh, So Paul has plans for Rome to bring the gospel there and to encourage them with it. He has plans uh, further afield in Spain, but there's one more thing that's happening with Paul. Uh, Before he goes to Spain, his first trip is back to Jerusalem. Uh, There in verse 25, uh, starts talking about that. He's actually taking money. Uh, for the past few years, as he's travelled around these Gentile churches, he's taken up a collection uh, for them to send money to help uh, the poor among the believers in Jerusalem. And at one level, it's just a simple act of Christian love. But at a deeper level, Paul is desperate for this collection to be a sign of the unity between the Jewish church and the Gentile church. But Paul is worried. Did you notice that? Have a look what it says in verse 31. He says, Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favourably received by the Lord's people there. Yeah. Uh, I'm normally stoked when someone comes for a visit and um, brings cash as a gift. Um, If you come over anytime, feel free. Uh, That's the plan. But Paul is worried that it won't be favourably received. He's worried that the hostility is such amongst uh, the unbelievers in Judea who are persecuting him, 
um, or even among the church, that it might not be received with love. And that's because this idea that the gospel has, that, that Gentiles can now be part of God's people, that Jew and Gentile alike can be declared righteous by God. That is a radical idea. That is a revolutionary idea. And as it turns out, he's quite right. Uh, The Jewish authorities, when he does in fact go to to Jerusalem with this collection, they do arrest him and all of these plans that he's making get messed up. Uh, But for now, uh, in the letters of the Romans, uh, what's happening with Paul? He's got these plans in, in three places, in Rome, Spain and Jerusalem. He's writing Romans... Uh, because he wants to visit Rome and strengthen them with the gospel. He wants them to get on board with that gospel, so they'll back him on his mission to Spain. And he wants them to pray for his trip to Jerusalem, this unity project between Jew and Gentile. That's what's happening with Paul. Uh, What about the receivers? What's happening in Rome? See, the first thing that's happened uh, is kind of the obvious one, but worth saying, because it's actually uh, tremendous. Uh, They've heard the gospel. Have a look in verse 7. He's writing to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. And then further down, verse 8, he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. Yeah, sorry, we flicked back to chapter 1 there, didn't we? Good turning. Uh, So this is uh, who the letter's to, to all in Rome. The Romans have heard the gospel. And so right here in the heart of the pagan world, right here in Rome, we have people who declare that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is Lord. Uh, And that is why Paul is so eager to preach the gospel there, to keep building them up in that faith. And that's why we get this huge letter. Paul wants to establish this church and, and give them this gift of the gospel. But there's something else that has happened in Rome. They've received the gospel, um, but something else has just happened in the course of history. We pick up this like amazing little nugget uh, in Acts 18. You don't have to turn there. But Acts 18, verse 1, this is what it says. See if you can pick what, what happens in Rome. Uh, after this... Uh, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Uh, That's a classic political move, isn't it? Um, Something goes wrong in the city and you blame the foreigners and just kick them all out. And so that's what happened around uh, 49 AD, the Emperor Claudius expelled all the Jews from the city of Rome. And that included um, the Christians too, Jewish Christians, people who were Jews by nationality, uh, although believers in Jesus. They all got kicked out, including uh, Priscilla and Aquila. And uh, that kind of expulsion wasn't lifted until uh, 54 AD, and then they all came back, uh, back into the church in Rome. And so you have this tense situation, right, Uh, as the Jewish Christians come back into the church that has, for the last five years or so, just been uh, Gentile believers. How do you process that, right? Who's in charge? It's like, you guys have been going for like five years. Uh, We're kind of doing things a bit differently now. Uh, Like, still Christian, but it's pretty Gentile. Um, 
how do you mix all that back together? Uh, it's a little bit like here at UniChurch. Um, UniChurch, we're a pretty good mix, I think, between country kids and city kids. Is that right? Um, hands up if you're a country kid. Uh, be proud. I am. Uh, well, this, this, this will be great then. Imagine um, if all the city folk got kicked out next week. Uh, suddenly we're in charge, you know. Um, we'd have a new set of hub leaders, um, a new set of musos, and the church would change a little bit, wouldn't it? It would get countryified. Uh, everything would be bring and share suppers. Um, social events would be barn dances. Uh, people would actually turn up to the busy bee. Uh, it'd, it'd be amazing. It'd be amazing. But then, five years' time, all the city folk come back. And uh, they want things back to normal. But, but this is normal. How do you work all that out? And we've already seen that this is something that Paul is grappling with elsewhere. Uh, this, this clash between uh, Jews and Gentiles and whether they can both be the same uh, in the gospel under God. And so part of what this letter to the Romans is going to do is to try and deal with this issue, uh, this clash between Jew and Gentile in the church. And in fact, that's exactly what we're going to see. Uh, as Paul lays out his argument, he shows how Jew and Gentile are united in the gospel. And it's a revolutionary message. Uh, it was a revolutionary message in Paul's day, and it still is in our time. Uh, this is uh, a quote from another Martin Luther. Uh, this is um, from Martin Luther King Jr. In 1956, uh, he gave a sermon from Romans at the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, and this is what he said. He said, So, Americans, I must urge you to get rid of every aspect of segregation. Uh, the universal nature standing at the centre of the gospel makes both the theory and the practice of segregation morally unjustifiable. Segregation is a blatant denial of the unity which we all have in Christ. See, to read Romans is to see how the gospel confronts the divisions in our world. And it gives us this radical basis for unity that comes from the gospel. So what's happening in Rome? They've been transformed by the gospel, gone from hailing Caesar as Lord to hailing Jesus as Lord. Uh, but they also have this tension in the church over these Jew and Gentile issues. Uh, so if that's what's happening with Paul and what's happening in Rome, what is happening in Romans? What can we expect from this letter as we dig into it uh, for the next five weeks? Well, uh, I just want to mention three things, three things that I think we can expect to find, uh, three things that I think will be revolutionary for us. Firstly, we should expect Romans to give us a big enough picture of the gospel that we'll get on board with world mission. I'll say that again. We should expect Romans to give us a big enough picture of the gospel that we'll get on board with world mission. See, that's what uh, Paul wants for the Roman church, right? He's writing it as a mission support letter. He wants them to help with his mission to Spain. And so he needs them to see the universal need of the gospel. 
He doesn't kind of bludgeon them with it. He just tells them what the gospel is and says, look, isn't this magnificent? Doesn't everyone need this? So imagine that. Uh, Imagine if God works that in us. Uh, We finish reading Romans together and we are passionate about supporting people who will take the gospel beyond us. Romans isn't going to be just about us, just about Uni Church. It's going to be about the need for the gospel beyond us. Do you currently do that? Are you someone who currently is supporting someone who is telling the gospel? Uh, Do you currently give money to support Crew West or AFES? Imagine that change worked within us. If reading through Romans made us excited, uh, thrilled to be able to give money to support mission, hungry to find gospel partners uh, to pray for and get behind, that would be a revolution, right? That would be great. Secondly, we should expect Romans to give us a real basis for equality. We should expect Romans to give us a real basis for equality. Uh, Paul is going to address this Jew and Gentile issue, but he's going to do it by showing us how we are all equal in the gospel, all equally under sin, all equally dependent on God's grace, all equal, all made righteous by the same Jesus, by the same faith. Our world is just searing with racial tensions, isn't it? Long histories of oppression and abuse of power. And not just with race, but with men and women, rich and poor. And our society is crying out for equality. Well, Romans is going to give us that. It's going to give us a radical basis for equality. It's going to give us that basis, that thing that goes to the heart of who we are, every single one of us. It's going to give us a unity in the gospel. That would be a revolution, wouldn't it? To get hold of that. And thirdly, uh, we should expect Romans to give us this revolutionary gospel. To see the new king, King Jesus. Uh, It should help us uh, to trust what he's done to save us. Help us to see what it means to live for him as Lord. And if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I hope that you can come on this journey with us uh, to see what all the fuss is about with this guy, Jesus. I hope that you will be up for reading through Romans yourself. Uh, One of the things that I want to leave us with tonight uh, is a little challenge, uh, the Romans challenge for the next five weeks. It'll be one thing uh, to kind of skim over the top and do kind of five weeks uh, of sermons in Romans, and that'd be, be great. But actually what we want to do is soak in it. Uh, Not just to skim over the top quickly in five weeks and then forget about it later, but to spend these five weeks just luxuriating in this massive letter. And so we've put together uh, the UC Daily. Joe and the team have uh, put effort into making that available. I'd love for you to use that, to read through Romans uh, in the small details as well uh, as part of your daily Bible reading. And then for Hub, this, uh, for the next five weeks, we're actually going to be uh, digging into the sections of Romans that we're teaching on on Sundays. Uh, we'll also be thinking about that in our Bible study groups. 
because we want to actually get deep into it. And so if you're not a Christian, uh, why don't you come on this journey with us? Uh, See why this letter has had such an impact on our world. Come and see for yourself this revolutionary gospel. The same one that changed Martin Luther. The same one that changed Martin Luther King. Uh, There's nothing more revolutionary than the gospel.